This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a good one out there. Get your shovels out. Get your snow blowers out. I did mine uh, on Tuesday right when the snow was just about done. And it was not the uh, it was not the storm of the century that everybody kept talking about. But we got, there was plenty of it uh, out there. I pulled my kids uh, in a sled to uh, down to a playground Um after work on uh, on Tuesday yesterday, and uh, it was cold. It was uh, it was not the uh, not the nicest of days. But they they wanted to go outside. They insisted they did, and then as soon as we got there, they saw how cold it was, and they wanted to go back. Not long after that, so pulling three kids in a sled uh, that was uh, that was part of my uh, part of my winter exercise routine um, uh, on Tuesday. It uh, the Wild got some winter exercise as well. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. We'll visit with Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune. He will join me here in a little bit. Of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. He uh, had had some good thoughts on good th- good thoughts and good perspectives on Kirk Cousins. Uh, we got into a little bit of some of the trade speculation. What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? And he, he offered up some impressions so far of Kevin O'Connell, the new Vikings head coach, and kind of talked through um, now that the staff is essentially in place, they, they've hired a special teams coordinator, they've hired an offensive coordinator, they, of course, had previously hired a defensive coordinator, kind of getting down to the business of getting, you know, setting this roster, figuring out how this is going to work. So Ben had some good perspectives on that. Um Patrick Royce column you really need to read. I'll touch on that in a little bit too, as well as setting up tonight's Gophers, Badgers, men's basketball game. Some intrigue in that one for sure. But first, what did I miss? As I alluded to at the top, I'm going to start with the Wild in this case. Lost 4-3 to Ottawa on Tuesday night. Ottawa, one of the worst teams in the NHL, a disappointing start for the Wild, some disappointing moments along the way, and some concerns I have that uh, you know are going to show up here in this abbreviated second half schedule where they're trying to play, I think, 40 games in 77 days, something like that. You know, one, they've, they've got some, some banged up players. Zuccarello missed the game the other day. Um, you know, it looks like uh, Eric Sinek doesn't quite seem like himself lately, so kind of, you know, their depth will be tested. I think that's, you know, I think that's maybe the least of their concerns because I think their depth has been good. Um, their depth really showed the other day against Edmonton when they had seven goals up up and down the lineup, but um, some, some, some problem areas there. A bigger one to me, though, was another poor start by Cam Talbot, their goalie. And, you know, Talbot had been on a good run before these last few games, has now, I believe, lost three in a row. I think they've given up 13 goals in those three games that Cam Talbot has played. Um, Kapokakinen has been better lately, especially, than Cam Talbot. But really, on the balance of this season, I would say Kapokakinen has been the better goalie. Now, the workload has been different. Cam Talbot has, you know, played... You know, if it, the split is probably more like 60-40 or something like that in terms of minutes played. Um, you know, and there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason to when Talbot plays, when Kakinen plays. Maybe that's part of 
the issue here, but you know, Kakinen had been coming had had been putting together some pretty good performances lately. Talbot has not. Talbot gets the nod against Ottawa, and it does not go well. So I'm interested in kind of how this goalie thing shakes out down the stretch because they're going to need both these guys, of course. We've talked about that a number of times, including, you know, last time I had Sarah McClellan on, just how much the the depth of, you know, having two capable goalies at least will help them in the regular season when they do have this compressed schedule. Now, the flip side of that is this is absolutely going to be a playoff team. You know, barring something ridiculous happening, this is this is going to be a team that makes the playoffs and that has aspirations of making a playoff run. If the playoffs started today, who would be the Wilds' starting playoff goalie? I don't know if you have the answer to that question. They don't need to have the answer to that question yet. And I think the problem is that I don't know that they have a top-line caliber playoff goalie on the roster. I think they have two good goalies, two capable goalies, two guys that you know will will get the job done night in and night out. But if you just had to ask the question, who do you trust the most in the playoffs? Who should get the nod? Who do you think could go win you a playoff series? I don't know if the answer exists on their roster. So I think at some point, you know, maybe Kakinen continues to evolve. I think that's their their biggest hope is that he's been good this year and hopefully he that he gets better and kind of takes takes control maybe of that number one spot instead of Cam Talbot. Um, but you know, aside from that, if if you if you're kind of going to this back and forth, one of these guys is hot, one of these guys is cold thing towards the playoffs. I mean, you know, we've seen that with the Wild in the past where they've had two goalies, you know, kind of treading back more into their deeper history. Uh, that's good. That's that's just problematic to me. Uh, I don't think it's something they're going to solve this season. Uh, but long term, I feel like they're going to need to figure out who is their number one goalie. How do they define their number one goalie? Because that is something that a playoff team, a Stanley Cup contending team, needs to answer. And I don't think they have that answer right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I'd like to welcome back Ben Gessling onto Daily Delivery. Probably going to give Ben a break for a while after this, but still just a little bit of scattered news coming out of Vikings land. Sounds like all the coordinators are... Pieces are in place, Ben. Pieces are in place oh, with boys. the pieces are in place with the quarter with the with the coordinators. Um, we might get into a little Kirk Cousins stuff, but let, let's not start there. I don't think that's worth spending too much time on yet. That's going to have another few weeks to swirl around before anything can really happen, anyway. But Ben, uh, Kevin O'Connell's choices for offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams. Everything's kind of filled out now. Um, as you kind of look at his staff, um, does that what does that tell you about any kind of direction they might want to go and kind of what kind of what he's looking for in his coordinators and assistants, things like that? Because I guess the thing that jumped out to me is he's, you know, like a lot of coaches do, he's he's going with people that are pretty familiar to him and poaching a little bit from that Rams staff, or at least from people he knows from the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the takeaway is he wants to be the Rams in a lot of ways. Is 
Um, you know, offensively, I think it's going to look very much like what Sean McVay did, and that's no secret. That's I think the reason they were interested in bringing him in is, is they want to bring that scheme to Minnesota. But defensively, the Rams have been on the cutting edge as well. A lot of the stuff that Brandon Staley did before he went to the Chargers, which obviously comes from Vic Fangio, that's what brings you Ed Donatel. That's why I think the Vikings were interested in him. That's why Kevin O'Connell was interested in him, is how can we bring that scheme to Minnesota and base a lot of what we're going to do off of those ideas, which probably means a 3-4 in the front seven. That's the probably the big takeaway. Though when I asked Kevin O'Connell about it, he pointed this out, and I agree with it, that you spend so much time in nickel that it's not probably that different. But you're going to see some differences on the back end, too, with some of the coverage things they'd want to do. Lighter boxes probably being one of the approaches, and let's try to take away the pass. Let's try to take away big plays. I mean, make quarterbacks beat us downfield. And if Aaron Rodgers, at the end of his um, process of deliberating about his future, and decides to end up back in Green Bay, the Vic Fangio defense has given him a lot of trouble over the years. So there are different ways to – uh, vex the quarterback who has vexed you and Mike Zimmer had one Vic Fangio has had one as well so I think a lot of what they are trying to do with Ed Donatel former Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator Ed Donatel is to try to copy a lot of that scheme that Fangio Brandon Staley and, and people like that have run over the last few years here now one thing I feel like I remember um, seeing statistically analyzed was that for as good as Zimmer and Zimmer's defenses were over the years before these last two years, they, the, the look they gave you essentially at the beginning of the play was generally the look they, they stayed in. They, aside from, you know, the double a gap blitz look kind of giving you something to think about that they, that there weren't a lot of disguises in the defense. And it's, it does, yeah. it does sound like O'Connell is a, a believer in what well, I can't remember what the term was. I think it was more applied to the offense than defense. Um, illusion of complexity. Illusion of complexity. There it is. Yes. Um, if if maybe that applies to how he likes his defense to be too, where he he wants to make you think about a lot of different things, and you know, understanding that that's hard for him to scheme against offensively, and maybe that's an approach he'd like his defense to take as well. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think the 3-4 probably allows you to do a little bit more in terms of moving players around, moving uh, the pieces to different places to continue the far bit. I Yeah, I think that's a lot of what you're hoping to do. And probably you can bring pressure from different spots. Zimmer did a lot of that where you have, okay, who's coming, who's backing out. You know, a lot of those fundamentals of that scheme were what made it so good over the years. But yeah, I think you probably have safeties moving a little bit more. Um, probably different looks for both of them, maybe not just Harrison Smith. I think you're probably going to see some of those things come into the scheme a little bit more frequently than you have in the past. I mean, the Rams certainly did that with uh, with their safeties in the past couple of years, and you need the personnel to pull it off, but I think that's a lot of what the approach is going to be. Yeah, is trying to move people around and, and make it look like one thing and then change it to something else post-snap. Now he hires um, Wade Phillips' son to run the offense, someone from you know, he's familiar with from his time with the Rams. And, you know, offensive coordinator uh, won't call the plays. He has said he will call the plays, but still an important position on a, on a team, even when you have an offensive coach. I'm just curious, like, is that 
kind of those two being in lockstep, or do you imagine that Phillips will be able to kind of bring some of his own thinking into this mix as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be some of that. I imagine it'll work fairly similarly to what Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell did in Los Angeles. I I think that's probably going to be a lot of the approach is O'Connell is in the McVay role, I guess, of calling the plays. But uh, Phillips is now in the O'Connell role of helping build the scheme, be another voice to kind of play off of, help put concepts in, help install the offense during the week, during training camp, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so much of an offensive coordinator's job that we probably don't appreciate enough because we see things on Sundays from the ones that call plays. We see the shots of them up in the, in the broadcast booth or on the sideline during the broadcast. Um, but we don't see a lot of what happens during the week. And I think everybody says, well, if this guy hasn't called plays, what does he really bring to the table? I, I get it. Calling plays is is an art. I think there are people that are better at it than others, and, and it takes a little time to get used to it and get into a rhythm with it. But there's a lot that goes into planning, orchestrating, coordinating an offense that we don't see happen on Sundays. So I, I think that part of what Wes Phillips brings to the table is going to be a lot of why he's here and a lot of what they expect him to be able to do. Special teams, uh, also new special teams coordinator. So basically everybody is – Everybody, the, the staff is essentially complete now, right? We're close. I, I think there's still a need for a linebackers coach, if okay. I'm not mistaken. There's, they, they brought in Mike Smith from Green Bay as an outside linebackers coach. We may be getting an inside linebackers coach yet. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. If we assume that um, – just trying to think. Yeah, I, I think it's mostly done. There may be a couple other kind of – assistant position coaches here and there. They, they have to make a decision yet on, are you keeping the strength staff in place? Are you keeping all of the athletic training staff in place? I mean, some of those things that are important to players, but we probably don't pay as much attention to on the outside either are going to have to get decided. But yeah, other than that, I think it's pretty close to being done. Special teams were better last season under Ryan Ficken and um, he's gone now to the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken. That was kind of some of the churn where you're kind of between coaches and you're not sure exactly what's going to happen. He leaves for that role. Um, might have been somebody he O'Connell would have been tempted to keep, but he he does end up hiring his own his own guy anyway. Um, some decisions to make there, I suppose, when you're talking about as it's reading your story, you're talking about Jordan Berry yeah. um, being an unrestricted free agent. You're talking about um, you know the kicker who was you know. Greg Joseph was by and large pretty good last year. Yeah. He had the, you know, he had the very notable miss um, against, uh, against the the Cardinals, but, you know, aside from that bounced back pretty well, you know, maybe would have liked to see a few more extra points made. That's always seemed yeah, to be a problem be for Vikings kickers. I don't know why, but you know, field goal accuracy was pretty much middle of the pack, maybe a little bit better, has a big leg, hit a lot of 50 yarders. So do you get the sense that that's, you know, again, it's a it's a new set of eyes, but I don't imagine they are necessarily in a rush to change that. But uh, what, what's your impression of of how happy they should be with with their kicking operation at this point? Yeah, I mean, Joseph, I think, had a rough preseason from what I recall and obviously misses the kick against the Cardinals at the end. Um, but overall, I thought was really pretty good. I mean, especially on the longer kicks, he was seven of nine, I believe on kicks of 50 yards or longer. And I think it was similar 
on kicks of 40 yards or longer. So they put him in a lot of situations where he had to go make long kicks in obviously big spots because they played so many close games. The, and the Detroit game stands out, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the one at the end to win it to keep them from, I guess, in the end, getting swept by the Lions. And, you know, if they lose that game to Detroit early in the season, you wonder if the coaching changes and the, all the organizational changes would have started to happen sooner. I know there were people in the organization that were kind of preparing for that. When the, the lions came down and scored, there was the thought process of, Oh boy, we, we can see, we can go down the road and see what all of this is going to mean. And then he makes the kick after cousins gets them in position to go win the game. He made a lot of those last year. So he'd still be relatively affordable. I, I would think he'd be a guy that you'd have a lot of interest in bringing back now restricted free agent tenders, you have to make a decision there on how much you want to pay him. It's not a spot where they have a ton of money. So that makes it maybe a little more complicated, but I would tend to think that if uh, Matt Daniels likes him, that you try to keep him and, and just try to not have that be the same kind of a problem, the same kind of uncertainty, the same kind of transition for Kevin O'Connell that it was so often for Mike Zimmer. They went through as many kickers as offensive coordinators, it seemed, oh. um, but maybe, Maybe not quite that many because. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, let's think about it for a second. It would be yeah. Blair Walsh, Kai Forbath, Daniel Carlson, Dan Bailey, um, Greg Joseph, right? Am I missing Yeah, one? so that's five. So they had more offensive coordinators. If, it depends on we if you count. Do you, do you count Kari Vidvik is the big question? That's more of a, that was more of a Rick kicker than it was a Zimmer kicker. Uh, they went through just about as many punters and holders, too. So they, yep. the, the, the operation. Um, if they can keep the operation together, as, as Ryan Longwell likes to call it, the, the three-man operation, it's not just the kicker. Now, maybe that's the maybe that's the way to go because it seemed like they at least had some, you know, if if your if your special teams can be adequate, that's that's you know that's at least a good place to start. A um, couple more things for you, Ben. I'm not going to bore you with Kirk Cousins stuff, but our friend Jed Zolgad floated the idea that Carolina has made a call to the Vikings about Kirk Cousins. If you're doing the math, you might assume that would involve a Sam Darnold return because Sam Darnold has a guaranteed contract. It's about 18 million. It's that fifth year option. Ben, that doesn't make much sense to me. I don't know about you that the idea of that or a Cleveland trade that involves Baker Mayfield, like, aren't you just better off at that point keeping Kirk Cousins for one more year and trying to have a good year and see what happens after that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that type of trade makes sense for the Panthers and, sure. and Judd, I think reported that the Vikings kind of said, yeah, we're not that interested in that sure. right now. Maybe, you know, call us back if anything changes, but my sense too has been, they are planning to keep cousins. I, I don't think what we heard last week in the press conference and maybe I'll be wrong and maybe, Old takes exposed can keep note of this spot in the podcast. We <laughs> need to come back and check it later, but I think they're going to keep him. I, I think they're interested in keeping him. And I think the relationship between he and Kevin O'Connell is strong enough that you're going to start with those two working together. Now we'll see what that means after this year. Money's going to come into that. You have to figure all those things out, but for this year specifically, which is what we'd be talking about, because all of these three guys are free agents after the 2022 season, as it currently stands, you would save about 27 million in no 17 million in cap space. You'd go from a $45 million hit to a $28 million hit for your quarterbacks this year. If you made that trade cousins for Darnold cousins for Mayfield straight up, those guys have $18 million fifth year options. Cousins is a $45 million hit. 
a $10 million bonus proration stays in Minnesota, which gets you to 28. I don't think that $17 million of cap space is going to be enough for the Vikings to contend this season, uh, given the fact you would be taking a significant drop at quarterback from Kirk Cousins to either one of those guys. I just don't think for the Vikings in 2022, it makes a ton of sense unless you felt strongly enough about either of those guys who are both younger than Kirk Cousins that you say, we're going to build around this quarterback for the foreseeable future. Maybe if you did, if you had that, you'd say, okay, let's uh, let's make the deal. But other than that, I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense. And I don't know that they're going to look at that situation and say, we want one of these guys over Kirk Cousins. I can't really imagine like neither is, is, you know, as highly touted as both of those guys were coming in, both very high picks in the draft. Um, and neither one of them really does much for me or has that kind of is a dynamic enough player to make you think let's build around this guy for the future. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what kind of Kirk cousins trade would, would make sense. But I think to your point, I I'm becoming more, more and more convinced as, as time goes along that you're right, that he's here at least in 2022. And then we see kind of see what, uh, what happens from uh, what happens from there. Last thing, what's your, what's just your overall impression of O'Connell so far? You've kind of had, a few days to let the the news conference marinate to kind of like see the moves he's making to kind of think about the direction he's talking about taking this thing. What, what's just your overall take on Kevin O'Connell from what you've seen so far? Well, I, I think, I mean, the big takeaway for me from the press conference was there was not, I guess the takeaway to put it this way is how understated it was. It was not like he came in and said, I'm a fixer or there's a new sheriff in town or any of these sort of memorable quote unquote, win the press conference lines. He, he didn't do a lot of that. It was pretty nuts and bolts. Here's what I want to do. Here's my philosophy. Uh, here's how I want to use certain players. Here's how I want the scheme to look. I, he did not strike me as a guy that felt like he needed to come in and make some big headlines on day one to try to tell everybody something has changed. And some of that may be a credit to what happened before with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, that you're not coming in and talking about some massive course correction, some massive rebuild. I I think you could probably look at it a little bit of it that way, but I, some of it might just be O'Connell's personality as well of, I know what I want to do. Um, I come from a, a system that has worked. I come from a coaching tree that has produced a lot of good coaches in the last few years. And I have every intention of being the next one in that line. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the takeaway I had too, that he didn't, he, I don't think you're going to see a lot of big personality from him necessarily. Not that he's like a, not that he's totally bland, but that he's, he's going to be kind of, he's going to recede a little bit into the background and kind of be a football coach and, and yeah. hopefully a, a decent one for us to deal with. And he'll give, reasonable answers but he's not going to be this headline grabber that you know maybe a someone like a harbaugh would have been he's he's yeah. just not that outsized personality yeah and i think that was a goal i i really do i mean i i think that's what made the harbaugh thing feel like it was such a um an interesting fit a puzzle a, a puzzle a, piece yeah. what was the phrase that childress used a programmatic non-fit programmatic non-fit yeah which is yeah that's one of them. Yeah. Programmatic. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a programmatic non-fit based on where they have talked about going. And I think a lot of what you see from Kevin O'Connell is sort of this, you know, I'm going to stay even, at least that's how he's talked. And there's, you know, probably some California cool in there, I suppose, but 
The other guy that had a lot of that approach was Kevin Stefanski. I think that's a lot of what everybody liked about him was that there's not these big swings in the vibe of the team. It was, okay, we win. Let's keep moving forward. If we lose, let's get it fixed and let's move on. But we don't need to be um, reacting to everything with sort of this big change in the way we do things every week. And I, you know, I don't think that Mike Zimmer was doing that specifically, but I think just that feeling of, well, uh, you know, how is he going to react is, was probably a lot of what they were trying to, to kind of pivot away from. Yeah. And, uh, and they've talked about that. I mean, that, that's no secret. We've written it. I think there was a, a desire to go a different way. And I think a lot of the personality he brings to it is, going to be in that direction that they're talking about going. Yeah. I think Zimmer wore his emotions on his sleeve a little bit more at times than, than O'Connell probably would. There's the, what was it? Is it this year that he had the halftime where he said, other than that, it's been great. The, yeah. Where they, yeah. Where they, I think that was this year during one of the, like a TV broadcast. Yeah. It was the TV had halftime, halftime, had a halftime thing where you like ran through five things. He didn't like yes. said, other than that, it's been great. So, you know, yep. I don't think you're going to yep. get that from, a Kevin O'Connell. Um, last thing, quick before you go, um, as we kind of think about how long it might be till I talk to you, it's the, what's the what's kind of the timeline here for next steps? Now that they've got they've got their head coach, they've got all their their coordinators. The league year doesn't start for another three weeks or so. This probably just hopefully gets a little quiet here for a little while. You know, as, as time as we think about it, uh, not really. It's okay. not going to get that quiet because okay. you have. I mean, the combine is already in the February schedule messes me up, but the combine's the first few days of March. So the combine is less than two weeks away already. And free agency starts March 16th. They have like $16 million of cap space to clear between now and then. And then you have to get ready to go for free agency when you have a number of decisions to make on a lot of one-year players that were on your roster last year. So there's going to be a lot of business for them to do. There's going to be a lot for them to do internally. I would expect that it would be quiet for about a week. Uh, normally this is a, a longer stretch where it's quiet, but it's um, we're not too far from things cranking back up. And then the draft is right around the corner and then they can actually start their offseason program early because they have a new coach. So no, it's uh, we're, we're just going to keep rolling here. So there, there's really no end in sight to any of it, but uh you know, that's, that's the NFL. That's how they like it. So we, we all just get on the train and keep going. 12 month season, baby. Well, yeah, always, always appreciate your time. We'll be watching for whatever news emerges here in the next few weeks. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, I guess. All right. Thanks. Good stuff from Ben. As always a post script to that, since I spent a lot of time talking about Aaron Rodgers on Tuesday's show, he went on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday, tried to explain his whole Instagram gratitude post, saying there was nothing to it, um, that it was just an expression of gratitude and that he'll make a decision soon about his future. I'm just so happy that we have all these outlets for Aaron Rodgers to talk and express his opinion and clarify um, the things he says because I, I just I love having to parse everything he says and love love that whole process it's just a a, a real a real treat uh, that the green bay quarterback is just a real treat right now let's move on to gophers men's basketball they play wisconsin on wednesday night tonight as it were interesting game in a couple of respects this is wisconsin's first game of course since the 
altercation with Michigan that resulted in uh, Joan Howard's suspension, that resulted in some discipline for others on Wisconsin's side, um, imagining they'll move past it reasonably quickly, things like that. But we'll be interested to see what their kind of emotion level is, what the, uh, you know, kind of, you know, just how they how they handle that coming out of that. That game is at Williams Arena. And the other piece, the other piece of it that's interesting is that this is, of course, the you know, if you're talking about a regional model program that Ben Johnson, I would imagine, would like to copy to a certain degree, it is Wisconsin. It has been that. The Gophers have been chasing the Badgers in football and men's basketball for, you know, probably football even longer, but at least a, a decade and a half, two decades, trying to become that consistent upper half of the Big Ten team, and they just have not been able to do it. So, Kind of a, another look at kind of what Wisconsin's model of consistency looks like and what the Gophers would like to emulate as Ben Johnson's tenure goes further into you know year two, year three, year four. Can he establish that consistency that fans want and that he wants? Let us finish now with the cooler. Go read Patrick Royce's column on Title IX, just kind of a journey through his history of sports writings, through his history of thinking on women's sports. That is on StarTribune.com. That is in the Star Tribune, part of a kickoff package, 50 years of Title IX. Really great work by Patrick. Some of the stuff I already knew, some of the stuff I didn't know, um, but I found myself nodding my head a lot and chuckling quite a bit along the way, as so often happens with a Patrick Royce column. That will do it for today. Think I'm having a. I think I'm going to have Chris Hine on Thursday show to kick off the post All Star break. Timberwolves talk. They play Thursday against Memphis. Should have some good stuff coming up Friday too. Hoping to have Adrian Heath from Minnesota United on the show. That's that season begins on Saturday for Minnesota United. Hard to believe, but with the World Cup. This year, they're they're starting early and ending earlier than usual. So hopefully, Adrian Heath will have some great perspectives on the 2022 Loons. That will do it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again on Thursday.